about them Astros. Huh? They should get credit for two games, don't you think? 18 innings. The rookie knocks it out. Amazing, right? Yeah, give him a hand. It's a big moment. Speaking of big moments, today is a big moment. Uh, we, most of you all know, we are one church in six locations. We have six campuses spread out all throughout the Houston area. Yeah, and today, today we wanted to have, wanted to give everyone in our congregation the opportunity to see and hear our very special guest speaker. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He is one of the most sought-after sought after speakers in our country today, one of the up-and-coming leaders. He has served in the United States Senate for nine years, and many believe he will one day become a candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. It's my privilege, my privilege and honor to welcome to the Second Baptist family from the great state of South Carolina, Senator Tim Scott. Thank y'all. Now, I'm going to share my testimony of how I became a Christian, and then I'm going to let you all go because I'm already almost out of time. So, <laughs> I thought you said an hour and 32 minutes. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Well, I, I was raised by a single mother mired in poverty. I had the good fortune of being raised by that mama. And, and I say good fortune because the Lord uses all things for good. And being raised in poverty in a single parent household, my parents divorced when I was about seven years old and we moved into my grandparents' house. My grandparents had a very small home, about 700 square feet. My mother, my brother and myself, we all shared a bedroom and a bed for a few years. And that was a house with scarcity at the top, no resources. But love was abundant. And I got to tell you, I am so thankful for 1 Corinthians 13, 13 that tells us faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I learned valuable lessons because I had grandparents who loved me more than they loved life itself. And a mama who was dedicated and loving and supportive I remember when we were moving from Michigan on an Air Force base back down to move in with them. All happened when I was around seven years old. I was sitting on the side of the couch trying to figure out what I could do to keep my family together. Give up Christmas? Absolutely. Birthdays? No problem. I couldn't find the recipe to keep my family together. It was one of the darkest days of my very young life, and I look back and it scarred me so much that much of what I try to do in the public forum today is really designed around little kids like the one I used to be, trying to find their path forward. And loss is a goose in a rainstorm. And there I was. Now, one lesson that I think is really important for us to remember on this journey is Romans 8, 28. That we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called 
according to his purpose. That was a lesson I needed to learn, and I, I look back and I, I can see now how the Lord was putting little seeds in the soil that would germinate over the rest of my life to understand that sometimes some things go wrong and they're not your fault and you can do nothing about it. But thank God Almighty that he has a plan even for the mess in our lives if we pay close enough attention, it might become the message for the rest of our lives, making us into messengers. Ain't God good? He takes even the bad and makes it good. Well, that was my journey. And from 7 to 14, I will have to admit that even with a praying grandmama and a praying mama and lots of really positive things coming my way to try to reinforce that things were going to be okay, I did not always pay attention. How many of y'all know that all drifting leads in the wrong direction? About 17 of y'all. This is good. This is good. Higher than my average. This is great. Well, from 7 to 14, I just drifted. And as a freshman in high school, I nearly failed out. I failed four subjects as a freshman in, in, in high school. I failed world geography. I failed civics, which is the study of politics. <laughs> Y'all know God has a sense of humor, right? Because you're looking at it right now. Somebody should say, hallelujah. Amen. Now, I will tell you, after nine years in the U.S. Senate, I am not the only one failing civics <laughs> in America. I don't want to point. I don't want to point. But I'm not the only one failing civics. Now, I know we're in Texas. I also failed Spanish and English. Come on now. Y'all know when you fail Spanish and English, they don't call you bilingual. No. They call you by ignorant. You can't speak in any language. That's where I found my unhappy self. But I had two major blessings in my life. One was that praying mama who was working 16 hours a day, three days a week, eight hours a day, two days a week, to keep food on the table and the lights on most of the time, most of the time. And she would come home after long shifts. She was a nurse's aide, which means she just changed bedpans and rolled patients 16 hours a day. It was not the most exciting jobs. It was the last rung, the first rung on the ladder in hospitals. But my mama is the reason why I understand that there is dignity in all work. There is dignity in all work. My mama told me, if you can, you should. And if you don't, you won't. As a f I'm not sure you can find that in the Bible, but the, the, the principles are in there somewhere. And she'd come home late at night after those long, hard days. That's one of the reasons why she still remains my American hero. 
You know what I mean? Someone who goes the extra mile for you, even when you will not go the extra mile for yourself. She'd come home and she'd look at my report card. And she looked at me. She looked at my report card. She looked at me. And she would say, Timmy? I was like, yes, ma'am. Sweetheart, if you would just shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll be among the stars. If I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times. At the end of my freshman year, she comes home. She looks at my report card. She looks at me. And she walks over to me and she just, Timmy? I was like, yes, ma'am. She says, I said, I know, mama. I know. I should have shot for the moon. And even if I missed, I'd have been among the stars. My mama does not like attitude. <laughs> and she said, no, sweetheart, you missed that lesson. So she took me outside to a tree. Some of y'all know where this is going, I see. This is a highly educated audience. And she said, pick a branch. Now, I said, pick, 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 pick a, pick a, pick a, pick, pick a branch? She said, take the leaves off. I'm like, mama, why am I taking the leaves off of this beautiful branch? That was called the psychology of the switch. And then she introduced me to a new form of encouragement. In South Carolina, we call a switch a southern apparatus of encouragement. <laughs> and she applied it from right about here all the way down. I found Jesus right there. I said, hallelujah. She, she, she. I, I know that y'all know the scripture, Proverbs 13, 24. Something about spare the and spoil the, I was not spoiled. <laughs> Let's just leave it right there. And I will say, I never failed another subject for the rest of my life. She beat it right out of me, or encouraged it right out of me, depending on how you look at it. I know these days, corporal punishment is not as popular as it used to be. I won't recommend, well, I won't recommend nothing. Anyways, I'll just keep moving on. So my so so I went to summer school, caught up with my class, and literally didn't fail anything else forever. My sophomore year, heading towards the end of my sophomore year, I run into my best friend in the Northwoods Mall, in the mall. And he says, this movie theater's hiring, and so he gave me a referral where he worked, and I got this job at the movie theater. And it was the greatest job I've ever had, including being a United States Senator. For me, literally working in the concession stand during Rocky III was like, wow! Yeah, it was amazing times. How many of y'all like Rocky III? Okay. How many of y'all don't know what Rocky III is? I see young people back there and say, Mama, where's the Rocky III? Anyways, so I'm working at this movie theater, and the second blessing walks through the door. A guy named John Moniz, who was a Chick-fil-A operator, walks through the door because his kids are playing at the movie theaters, and he wants to know, who are my kids hanging out with? So he brings his Chick-fil-A sandwich and slides it across the concession stand because he was the operator at the Chick-fil-A. And I was like, 
wow. And this was a man who became my mentor. And he would drive into the parking lot in this brand spanking new 1981 Lincoln Continental. It was about 30 feet long and got 12 miles to the gallon. But I was like, what does a person do to get a free car? Like, wow. Literally, I'm sitting there talking to John Moniz, and John starts teaching me some of the most important principles I would ever learn in my entire life. John taught me that having a job is a good thing, but creating jobs is a better thing. He taught me that if you have an income, you'll do okay. But if you learn the difference between your wages and a profit, you can change your community with a profit. And at the same time, John's teaching me these basic business principles. Roger is talking to me about Jesus. And I'm asking Roger, who's living in a trailer park, I'm living in a little, tiny, little apartment with my mom and my brother. And I said, Roger, why are you so happy? And he'd say, because Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And I'm asking, y'all give Roger a hand. God bless Roger. If he said it once, he said it a thousand times. And I would always ask him, what else? Because at the time, it had not occurred to me that all you need is Jesus. I was a hard-headed fella, rock hard. And these two guys started just sharing the gospel in different ways. And Roger with his just unending joy. It was like the cup runneth over. And John, who was a Christian, obviously a businessman and a conservative who's teaching me individual responsibility. And it was John who told me that if you don't like where you are, Tim, look in the mirror and blame yourself. That was a hard pill to digest. I thought I had a reason to be angry and upset and an underperforming individual. And John told me that don't blame your mom because she's working 16-hour days. And don't blame your dad because he's not around. He says, if you want to reach your highest potential, you're going to have to blame yourself and take responsibility. He said, if you see the problem in the mirror, you're going to find the greatest promise for the best future you've ever seen in that mirror. He says, if you look in the mirror and you blame yourself, the obstacles that you think you can't overcome become the opportunities that will lead you to your greatest future. And while Rogers and John are teaching me these lessons, my grandmother and my mother are back there praying for me. James 5, 16, I believe it is. The prayers of the righteous availeth much. And I see these forces coming together on my behalf. And I start learning and, and leaning into this journey. In my senior year, life is coming together. Things are looking good. I'm, I'm playing football. I'm a, I'm a star on the football field, at least in my own mind, I'm a star on the football field. 
my junior year, I'm averaging about six, seven yards to carry. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where I am, and colleges are starting to recruit me, and I'm starting to feel a little ego growing in my heart. I think the greatest, I mean, I know that there is no hierarchy of sin. I've read Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I know that. But the book of Proverbs tells us that God hates pride. And James 4.10 says, if you, if you humble yourself, he can exalt you, but if you exalt yourself, he will humble you. That did not fully connect with my synapses, let's say that way. And so my, I'm heading into my senior year, I'm in August of 1982, and I'm taking my mom to work, I'm driving home, I'm getting a little sleepy in this beautiful car that she just got last, last year at that point in time. So I, I roll the windows down to keep myself awake. No, I said roll the windows down. There were no buttons in that car. I turned the music on, I turned the music off, I turned it back on, I turned the AC up, I turned the heat on in August in South Carolina. It's kind of like August in Houston. You don't turn the heat on in August unless you are delirious. And I woke up driving the car down the major interstate, I-26, asleep. And when I woke up, I did what every 16-year-old kid does. I panicked. I slammed on the brakes and jerked the steering wheel at the exact same time with gravel under my tires. Let me tell you what happens. Nothing good. My car did not spin. It rolled over itself back into traffic at 7.30 in the morning. I was going east. Went rolled through both lanes of traffic hit the median, went up in the air, a couple cars went underneath me. It came down, I nicked the car on the top of it, going west at this point. Rolled into a ditch, going through the windshield with my back. I still have the scars to prove it. And I yelled for help. And help in South Carolina sounds like, Jesus! Anybody yell for help like that before? <laughs> Not just me. Thank God for somebody in the choir. Thank you, man, very much. Like, yeah. Yes, I yelled for her help and, and literally in a way that is only explained by a supernatural presence, I find myself back in the car, blood everywhere, glass everywhere. And I hear someone yell, I think he's dead. I think he's dead. I'm not that smart. I yell back, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> well, they finally get me out of the car. The ambulance comes. The firemen came, and thank God the law enforcement came. And they had me on the side of the road. I was on my side because I couldn't sit down because the glass had gone further than my back. I'll leave it there for chat. And this officer walked up to me and he said, son, your mama is going to be so happy you're alive. I looked up at him and said, sir, you don't know my mama. She going to kill me. But what he was trying to tell me that I was missing 
was the importance of life over things. That he knew what I needed to know, which was that my mother cared more about her car, more about her son than she did her car. I thought my mama cared more about the car than she did her son. And thank God for law enforcement that shows up at the scene that helps us through our hard times, our tragedies, and they were there for me. And I will tell you that I wish I could tell you that that was the day I gave my life to Jesus and, and it was done. I was not that smart. It took another 12 months. I ended up at Presbyterian College, PC in Clinton, South Carolina on a small football scholarship. So I missed seven weeks of my senior football season and my scholarships were flying out the window. And it was September 22nd, 1983 at an FCA meeting, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where I accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. Ah, praise God. I will tell you without any question, finding my heavenly father to tell me who I am as a person and as a man, to tell me what I need to do with the rest of my life, for me to open Ephesians 2 and to walk through what the Word of God says about me, and then to understand what Galatians 6, 7, whatever you sow, you reap, but you only reap after you sow, and you always reap more than you sow. It's the law of the harvest, and verse 9 says you have to be patient. I did not know that all these scriptures were already germinating in my life, producing a result that was undeniably the handprint of God. Before I even knew him, the prayers of the righteous were already availing much, and my life reflected his mercy. And finally, I had my daddy my Abba Father, who came in my life and wrecked me in a positive, constructive, and powerful way so that as a result of that, I knew who I was and I knew whose I was and I knew what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. And then two years later, my mentor died. John Moniz, the Chick-fil-A operator, 37 years old, passes away suddenly just over a weekend. And it was then that I realized it all crystallized for me that somehow, some way, the breadcrumbs of life led me to understand that life was not about me and it was too short. And John's mission statement was to positively impact the lives of a million people with hope and opportunity. The day before his birth, the day before his funeral, at 19 years old, I set my mission statement to positively impact the lives of a billion people with a message of hope and opportunity. Hope being my faith in Jesus Christ and opportunity, the lessons that John Moniz taught me about financial independence. I can't think of a better way to honor the people who lay down their lives, who sacrifice for us, than for us to understand God's purpose. Proverbs 29, 18 says that without a vision, people perish. But with a vision, I believe, Philippians 4, 13, 
We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I've spent the balance of my life looking for ways to pay my mom back for all of the challenges I put her through and all of the long hours that she worked through. And I'll tell you, I'm not finished saying thank you to her, to my mentors, but mostly to my God. He paid it all.